You are listening to an Elam Church Christchurch podcast. We hope that you are encouraged and inspired by the message you are about to hear. And if you're ever in Christchurch, why don't you pop in and say hello? We'd love to connect. Awesome. Well, as we get into today's message, uh, I just want to share with you something about my life just to introduce our topic. Uh, I've been a Christian since I was 15 years old, and uh, anytime somebody preached or, or shared or encouraged around Bible reading, I had this uh, yearning in my heart, yeah, I think that's something I need to do more of, but alongside that leading came a little voice in my ear that said, oh, Pete, you, you're not reading enough. You're not doing enough. And the same was true for Bible reading. It was also true for prayer. If someone said, Pete, you need to pray more, there was this little just inkling of guilt in the back of my ear that said, you've got to do more. You've got to be better. Around attending prayer meetings or giving or attendance, there was always this little thing. You're not meeting the rules, not doing the rules. I wonder if you can relate to that feeling of guilt where, where there's something in the back of your mind that says, oh, you're not following the rules enough. You're not uh, achieving what you uh, really should achieve. In parenting, I feel this because uh, there's something that says when other parents say, oh, you know, I've done all these amazing activities with my kids. And I just play Lego with my kids. I don't do any of the cool activities. We just, it's just not what we do. I think, oh, man, maybe I should be doing that if I'm a good parent. Maybe I should be doing that. Uh, maybe when it comes to exercise, you see somebody who's exercising a lot. You think, oh, you need to do more exercise. And there's just that little voice in the back of your mind that says, in order to do more, you've got to be better. You've got to exercise more. And so when it comes to our lives with God, we can feel a stirring to a particular thing, whether it's spending time in prayer or reading His Word or serving on team. But alongside that stirring, it's just a little inkling in the back of your mind that says, oh, you're not doing enough. You're not doing enough. That's a challenge that is centuries and thousands of years old. In fact, it's a challenge that the Apostle Paul writes about to the people he is leading. This community is in a town or a city called Colossae, and so he writes the book of Colossians, which is the people who lived there, and it was the church who lived there, and he was addressing an issue with the church because people were on at them to say, come on, if you really love Jesus, if you really are committed to Jesus, you've got to do more. You've got to obey all the rules of the Old Testament. And if you obey all of these rules, you'll find yourself in a position where God will honor your obedience through elevating you to a holy position. In other words, you find yourself more holy from obeying the rules. And if you want to test this out in real life, just Google, is it okay to, and see what the suggestions are. Or is it okay for a Christian to, and see what the suggestions are. Because people want to know. Oh, what people want to know, okay, what, what are my rules? If I'm going to do this thing called faith, well, what do I have to do? What are my rules? And Paul says, no, no, it's not about the rules. He addresses this problem. This is what it says in verse 8 of chapter 2 of Colossians. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Philosophies that say you've got to earn your way into God's good books which depend on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Don't be uh, lured by the temptation to do more 
so that we might have more standing before God, that you might have ticked all of the holiness boxes. Someone in your life might have given you a checklist that you don't quite know about. It just kind of infected your thinking. It's a checklist of how to be a good person, or it's a checklist for how to be a good Christian, or just how to be a good member of society, or whatever. And you've got all these kinds of things that you check. You know, okay, read my Bible, check. Um, prayed today, check. Uh, something else, gave to church, X, big cross. And so you think, oh, no, I didn't do it. I didn't live up. I, d- I didn't get 10 out of 10. And Paul says, no, it's not about that. It's not about that. This is what it says in verse uh, 1 of chapter 3. Since then, this is the great news, you have been raised with Christ. It's exciting. You were raised with Christ before you knew about any of the rules. Before you achieved, if you get 0 out of 10 on God's scoreboard, for, uh, or not God's scoreboard, on, on, on the devil's scoreboard for how you relate to God, if you get a 0, you have still been raised with Christ. If your life is in tatters, you're still raised with Christ. You're still raised with Christ. You have been raised with Christ. Set your heart, therefore, on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. In verse 2 and 3, it says, Set your minds on things above, not earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And so we've got two sides of, of this particular argument. The first slide, uh, side says that it is an act of grace that you have been raised with God. When I was 15 years old, my life was a mess. I didn't know really anything um, about how to live. I tried all these different ways to find pleasure and, and excitement in life, and it was just ending in brokenness. And I had this moment of wisdom. I don't know where it came from at the time, but now I see it was the Lord speaking to me because 15-year-olds don't think like this. But when I was 15, I knew in my heart that my life was going nowhere and that the reason it was going nowhere is because I was trying to live it on my own outside of God. And so I found myself being raised with Christ. And uh, therefore, out of that situation, out of that moment of grace where where, where God said, you are my son, I've called you my son, Um, you are my daughter. When he says those things, he pronounces a position over your life. Therefore, set your minds on things above, not earthly things. The, the situation here is the world comes and says, you've got all these things that you've got to earn. And if you're good at earning them, you'll get yourself a position with the Lord. He'll take notice of you. He's not really going to notice you uh, until you start doing all these good things, until you start you know, doing X, Y, Z, whatever it is for you. But actually, Paul says, no, no, you, you have position in Christ regardless. But from your position in Christ, as a son and a daughter of the Lord, use that position for things that really will help you. There are things, heavenly things, that really will help you. It's kind of like in our physical life, in our physical and mental life, there are things that, that you do that help your life. Things like spending time with friends. You spend time with friends, you come away feeling refreshed. Uh, walks in, in nature, a bit of exercise, eating relatively healthy foods in moderate amounts, so you're left feeling good afterwards. They're habits which lead to health. It's not a habit that's earning health as much as it is just a habit which leads to a healthy lifestyle. And so in our spiritual lives, there are things that we can do. As long as we're just thinking in our minds, it's not about earning the position, but it's just saying things that you can do and habits that will really help you. 
D.L. Moody, who's a pastor, he said this, uh, talking about people's lives as if they're like ships. Ships. Uh, Ships belong in the water of this world, he says. But if the water gets inside, it sinks. So your life is like a ship that is floating in the water of this world. You're you're called to be in the world. You're called to have a job, and you're called to have friends and, and, and be in the world. You're not called to be like a Buddhist and go and pray in a cave for the rest of your life. It's not like that. It's actually you are called to be in the world. Uh, but, but you cannot let the values and the offenses and the brokenness and the sin of society get inside you, because if it gets inside you, then you sink. And so that's what he's saying. And I'd just like to extend it just one little step further and say that most ships have what they call a bilge pump. If you're not aware what a bilge pump is, it's a a pump that exists at the bottom of the ship, which when there is like a wave that comes over the bow or um, or leakage between the materials or whatever happens, it comes in through the motor or through the um, propeller or whatever, water comes into the ship, the bilge pump collects it and pumps it back out of the ship. And we need spiritual bilge pumps in our lives so that when we pick up an offense, when we're struggling, when we're feeling hopeless, when we have forgotten the fact that God is good and his plans for us are good, when those things happen, we can go to those habits which act as a bilge pump and pump those things out of our lives so that we can continue the way we're meant to. You know, when a ship gets too much water on the inside, it doesn't always sink the ship. A ship can function with water on the inside, but not fast, not the way it was intended to function. So we get things on the inside of us. You can go about your your weekly um, plans. You can go to church and even function on team. You can do all of those things, but you won't be doing it as well as you could as if you had habits built into your life, which pump those things out and the peace of God in. And so I want to share with you just really quickly today three things Three habits which help us live spiritually healthy lives. I just really want to reemphasize, if you didn't hear me the first time, this is not about earning your way into holiness. It's just something that will really help you. It really will help you in life. And the first one is this, is Bible study and prayer. Bible study and prayer. Like I said, I was saved when I was 15 years old. And... um, And I don't know if I'm the only one, I'll confess to you today, sometimes in the last uh, 20 years of being a Christian, there have been weeks where I didn't read the Bible, not once. I don't know, um, I'm seeing some nods, hopefully, I'm just looking, just eyeballing people right now. (laughs) No, Um, so maybe I'm the only one in this room who who, who had that. Uh, And so in those situations, eventually I would find myself in a place where I'd open up scripture and I'd read something from the Bible. And every single time, it felt like the inner man on the inside of me had been starved of oxygen and finally was able to just take a breath. It was like the Word of God was just breathing life into me. And I'd been trying because I'd been feeling unsettled and, and kind of not um, as, as well as I should be. I mean, you're just trying just to fill that space with anything, anything, just grabbing it off the shelf and just feeding your soul and waking up feeling emptier and emptier. And then you open up Scripture and you find that the Word of God just breathes life into you. Every single time, words and uh, off the page just flood into my life. 
It doesn't matter if the, if the story that I'm reading or the scriptures that I'm reading even applies. It was just a sense that peace just flows. That's why the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that all scripture is God-breathed. You ever had that sense where God's just breathing into your soul? And it's just like the weight of the world suddenly feels smaller, less dominating. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible is God-breathed. He speaks through it. There's a rap song that I like. Um, It's one of my guilty pleasures. I quite like rap, actually. And it says, don't tell me God is silent if your Bible is closed. Don't tell me God is silent if your Bible is closed. So often we feel this thirst in our hearts. We think, oh man, maybe I'm in a desert sea uh, situation. Maybe God's just silent with me for a time. Well, I'm not sure about that. If your Bible is closed, God has, still has plenty to say. The Word of God really does breathe life into you. There was a time as a young man, I'd been asked to house sit this person's place and, uh, you know, as, as people in their late teens do, you get all your mates over for a party. <laughs> so I got, these, I got my mates over. We had maybe 20, 30 of us there. And uh, there's quite a lot of people. We've got a really nice house. And uh, in the morning, I felt God give me a check in my spirit that I was conforming to the world. And the scripture he dropped into my mind was uh, Romans 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, my son, I heard him say, but be transformed with the renewing of your mind. I didn't really like that. I didn't like the fact that the Lord was just telling me what I had done was wrong. And so, uh, so I, I decided to distract myself. I'd open up the Bible, which is a strange thing to do when you're trying to run from the Word of God in your life is to open up the Word of God. And, and so, but I just opened it up randomly. And the the scripture that was on the page without a word of a lie was Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. And so I put my Bible down because, you know, as you do, I'm not interested in what you've got to say, Lord, was what my behavior was saying. And I opened up the newspaper. And I didn't realize that the newspaper prints a very short Bible verse every time it prints. I don't know if you knew that tiny little verse, maybe two inches long, upside down at the bottom of a page. I don't know why they put it there, but I open up the the newspaper and my eyes fall at the bottom of this particular page. And that that verse was, guess what? Romans 12 verse 2. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed with the renewing of your mind. You know, God speaks through his word. He speaks through his word. And that morning, I was feeling uh, empty and spiritually uh, stagnant, dry, unsatisfied, and I wasn't prepared to open up God's Word to to hear from Him. I was actively shutting it down, but but He spoke anyway. He breathed anyway. And what I found was life in the pages of that book. God speaks through His Word. Secondly, uh, God uh, shares, uh, leads us into spiritually healthy habits through, uh, through His Word, but also through connection with believers. Now, um, Sarah and I, we had lead a small group uh, last year, and Richard and Lucrece are taking it on this year. But if you'd come along last year, you wouldn't have been very impressed, probably, 
by the spiritualness of the group. It's a normal group. Uh, we eat, we have fun, we chat, we laugh, we hang out, we share scriptures, and we pray. You might say to yourself, well, this doesn't look overly special or, or spiritual. But it's a, powerful, it's a powerful time. And the reason it's powerful is not because of anything that explodes on the scene, but because of people who feed into each other's life, people who remind each other. That's why it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, and now let us consider how we might spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but instead encouraging one another. There's an old kid's song that says, uh, going to church doesn't make you a Christian, just like going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. I don't know if you remember that song. It's kind of all saying people have is, oh, you, you, can't, you don't become a car by going to a mechanic, or, or, and it's got all these other things. And while that's absolutely true, we also need to find ourselves regularly in a place where we're reminded of things. I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded of stuff. Bad things happen in my life, and I need to find myself into a group of people who say, hey, despite what that situation says to you, I know who you are. I know what God's called on your life. I know who God is. And we find myself in these situations where people are reminding me of the things of God. We need to find ourselves regularly in a place where we are reminded of who we are in Jesus. We're reminded of what Jesus did on the cross. We're reminded of who God is and that his plans for his church and for your life are for good and not for evil. And so you might be in this situation where you're saying, you know what, Peter, I actually know those things. I'm feeling full of faith. And, and um, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't feel like I need to be reminded of those things. You know, maybe I'll just take a month off church and just not come. And I want to just challenge that thought and say, if you don't need to be reminded of those things, it means that you need to remind somebody else. Church is a community, and at Every uh, point in our lives, we either find ourselves needing to be reminded of the things of God, that there's hope and that there's life and that the best days are ahead and not behind. We need to either be reminded of those things or we need to testify and remind somebody else. And so I just, want to, I just wanted to say that to you today, that it is a powerfully healthy habit to find yourself in the business of connecting with believers. Where when we gather together, we remind each other of what really matters. Uh, thirdly, the third habit is to give of yourself. To give of yourself. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching on money. He actually, interestingly enough, taught on money quite a bit. And uh, he says this, instead of storing up stuff on earth, we can invest it into heaven. And so he says in verse 21, the reason for this is for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It is really true that God wants us to be generous people. That's absolutely true. God calls us to, to live generous lives. He wants us to be generous people. But there's a strategy in here that goes further than that. The strategy is, is that you have power to command your heart to go wherever you want it to go. You have that power. If you're struggling with it, you say, my heart's just kind of always taking me astray and I'm often feeling down and my heart's just kind of getting burdened. And you have the power to tell your heart to go wherever you go. And the way you do that is to give, to give to that area. You, for where your treasure is, that your heart will be also. 
uh, a big challenge for me. The Lord's thankfully only done this just a few times. Um, but Sarah and I, we, we give to things. We give to the church as our main priority, as well as some other causes that, that are around. And uh, whenever we give, it's usually out of our household funds. And that's nice and easy. And what you need to know about our, our personal finances is that Sarah and I, we give each other pocket money. And you can't tell the other person how to spend their pocket money. You know, every other, every other expense you, you've got to say on, except for, the, except for what we call slush money. And I spend my slush money on golf. Golf and bakery pies. And when I save up my slush fund, um, I will buy power tools. And none of those things make any kind of sense to Sarah. She just thinks I'm nuts. Why would you buy bakery pie? We've got food at home. It's not about the food. And uh, occasionally, because that money is uh, very limited and so precious to me, the Lord will say, Pete, I need you to give away some of your slush money. I'm like, Lord, you can't do this to me. I thought I earned my way. Uh, I thought I earned things with you. I, you know, I'm your son, even a pastor. You know, come on, can you cut me some slack? Don't make me eat that sausage roll, Lord. I need the steak and cheese, you know, it's minimum, minimum steak and cheese. It's like, oh, you know, I, I know, Lord, you love golf. It's your favorite sport. You know, your word says that you lead us beside still waters and, and fields of green. And so, like, I just claim that in the name of Jesus. But God says, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it's not about the amount. It's an embarrassingly small amount of funds that I give. It's measured in pies. It's probably only three pies worth. But come on, those pies are precious. And when you give them to something you value, you're commanding your heart be invested in the local church. There is no other uh, thing in my life that I can do to become more invested in this place than it is to give my slush fund. 100 percent. I'll I'll be here nights of the year, you know, be here till 10 p.m. Don't care. Don't ask me to give my slush money. And so as I was writing this message, the Lord asked me to do it to back up what I was saying. So that's good. We'll have just a very small square of carpet in this room because of that gift this week. So come with me. You say, oh, pastor gave his slush fund. Maybe you can sew into it as well. But um, here, here is the truth. Giving of ourselves is a spiritual habit which teaches us the heart of God draws us closer to God, and it breaks off the lure of materialism in our lives. And I've known that to be true so often. If you want to break off materialism in your life, it's a painful but productive thing to do. It's just to give some of your money away until it starts to sting. And for you, that might be a slush fund. For me, for you, it might be something else. Yeah, maybe it's uh, car parts or something like that. I just, you know, just look at Robbie, Rob over there who loves cars. Yeah, maybe it's four-wheel drive fuel or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, me and you, bro. I get more slush next week. We'll be right then. Um, as we close today, I want to share this study with you. Uh, it's a statistical study from the Center of Biblical uh, Bible Engagement. And this is a group that in the U.S., they polled 40,000 people between the ages of 8 and 80, and they came with some amazing results. And um, that they found this, that if somebody engages with the Bible once per week, it might be on a Sunday morning when the pastor shares a scripture, it might be a small group, or just, you know, it might even be on Monday, just opening up your Bible. If you, if you engage with scripture once per week, it had very little effect on key areas like loneliness and anger issues, as well as a whole host of other key areas in your life. 
If someone engaged uh, regularly twice a week, the effect was, was still pretty uh, similar, negligible effect in those key areas, bearing in mind that it might just be on a Sunday morning or a small group. If, you, if somebody engaged three times per week, the results started to kick in a little bit. They started seeing really positive results. But if someone engaged four times a week, maybe church, a small group, youth group, a couple of other times, something like that, in the results in key areas like loneliness and anger, the results just rocket up. It's fantastic. And what they found was that people's lives were actually better through regular time in the Scriptures. This is what they found in a whole bunch of areas. This just got me so excited. That feeling lonely uh, dropped 30%. People were 30% less likely to say they felt lonely because of the time in the Scripture. Anger issues dropped 32%. Bitterness in relationships, whether those relationships are marriage relationships or relationships with your kids or your boss or whatever, bitterness in, your, in relationships dropped 40% if people found themselves in the Word of God in some form four times a week. Alcoholism dropped 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant dropped 60%. And the uh, viewing of pornography dropped 61%. In other words, life actually is better if you're doing it with God as your partner. If you're being led by the Lord and listening to His voice uh, through the Word of God, then life actually did get better. And this is what happened. Uh, Sharing your faith increased by 200%. The uh, chance that you'd share your faith was twice as likely. And discipling others increased by 23%. Now, I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty because I know that it's not about earning anything. In fact, the Bible teaches us you can't earn anything, but your life found in God will improve the closer to God that you are, the closer you allow Him to come. The Holy Spirit is called the counselor for a very good reason. He actually does counsel us. The brokenness that has existed in my life in the past, and I know in your life in the past that is no longer there, that's the Holy Spirit who counseled it out of you, who led it out of you. Life actually does improve. We experience over time less loneliness, less bitterness, less circular uh, anger issues, anger that just kind of doesn't leave you. It just goes round and round in circles. We see less substance abuse, and it's not because people are trying to be better. It's because life actually is better when you're being led by the Lord. Uh, In short, we experience more freedom and more life in abundance. In other words... You have been raised with Christ. Therefore, because God has reached out to you, has blessed your life, has called you one of his children, has placed his Holy Spirit in you, who continues to lead and to guide you and places blessing upon you so that every good thing that is in your life is from him. Because of that, you reach out and you develop habits to connect with God. Thank you for listening to this Elam Church Christchurch podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit www.elamchristchurch.org or connect at one of our services every Sunday at 10am.